What does it mean to inhabit the disciplines rather than do them? What if simplicity isn't so much about possessions and allocation of resources, but a posture, a shift in viewing ourselves as stewards of what God has given us to provide for ourselves and share with others? Because, you know, there's always enough. Our guest today gave me a picture I'm finding helpful. You know, sometimes the world feels like the adult has left the room. Like we're just a bunch of children running around losing our minds. Simplicity, simplicity might be a way of becoming aware that God is in the room. And at least concerning the state of our souls, it's safe. We're back with Renovari board and ministry team member, Pastor Mimi Dixon, as we continue this month looking at the spiritual discipline of simplicity. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovari Weekly Podcast. You know, the thing about this, which we discovered with fasting, we inhabit these things rather than doing them. And so because of that, sometimes it's difficult to see where we are in it because um, that's not where our attention is. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit difficult for me, even with fasting, when you said we'd talk about this, I thought, well, I don't really know that I know that much about fasting. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is just like... (laughs) Okay, I think I want to play with your statement. Could could we say when we're starting a new discipline, there's a sort of practice, we're practicing this discipline. But there's then something to do. Yeah. They naturally become integrated into our life that we don't often know we're even doing them. And and then I love that phrase, we are inhabiting the practices. It's like breathing air. I'm gonna go practice breathing air. So let me let me tell you this. I in preparation for the thing at George Fox, you you wanted me to talk about being a transformative community. Yes. So there were two thoughts I had. First is that you should ask the community, not me. So we're doing a video. <laughs> and the other thing I thought was um, it's very difficult when you're in the middle of something to describe it. You know, okay, Blaise Pascal describes it like he said when you're when you're together in what God is doing, it's like being on a ship at sea. You have no point of reference to tell whether you're moving at all. <laughs> you're just there. So you're, you can't really measure anything. You can't tell anything. So I thought, okay, well. And so then to go back, I've been here over 33 years now to say what at has your, happened in church, 33 years. At the, at the yeah. church pastoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought, well. It may be the best way to talk about it. I don't know how you ever write anything because there's a hundred ways you can start something. But I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I should start with what I thought would happen and what did happen mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. I learned from it. So that's been the only way that I can figure out how to talk about something that I'm in and on, like that ship moving through the sea with no land, no point of reference except stars pretty far away. <laughs> and how do you really know or tell anything? So 
disciplines like that are are like that for me. It starts off as something I practice and I do, and then it becomes integral to who I am, so much so that it's very difficult to parse it out. Right, right. And I think that's where community, I, I know that's where community is so critical to me because you know things about me that I don't know about myself. And you will sometimes share those things with me. And then I go, hmm, I've learned not to punt it, to kick it to the curb and say, well, if he really knew me, he wouldn't say that. <laughs> this is not the Wizard of Oz. We're not cranking, maybe even if we are cranking some kind of hologram that we hope people will believe is the real us because we wish we were different. Mm -hmm. There's always somebody in community, some Toto that pulls the curtain aside and there you are. <laughs> and then you have an opportunity to um, allow yourself to be exposed mm -hmm. and to know that you're exposed in a loving group of people who care about you. They're not interested in the hologram because yeah, they, yeah. they can see that skin deep. Okay. Can I, um, can I expose you then? <laughs> okay, go <laughs> with, ahead. With have at it. This of simplicity. And, okay. and, I mean, I'm just, let me just tell you what I see and then, and then okay. maybe, maybe you can respond to it. I have never <laughs> said this in a podcast. May I expose you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian's going to have to edit that out too. <laughs> what, what I see in your life, Mimi, is early on, making some very clear decisions about how you're going to spend your time and energy in this life. Yeah. And, and as a result, the things that often dominate people's life in terms of experiences, materialism, um, collecting hobby kind of like you seem so single focused and simplicity. I, I want to tag some of that simplicity uh, what, what do you think? Um, well, yes, that's true. My father used to tell me that I was very um, single-minded and had a pretty narrow focus. And I've, um, I wasn't sure that that was really, I mean, I like Renaissance people who, who can do a little bit of everything and know a little bit about everything and, and, have had this wide range of experience or maybe have traveled a lot or whatever. And I'm around people like that. I'm around when I go, when I have dinner with people, they're talking about their husbands and their children and their grandchildren now. And I just sit there and I listen. Now, do I feel left out? No, because I know their lives and their families and their kids. And I have a relationship to them. I am embedded in community. Mm -hmm. But my own life, I was, you're going to laugh at this. I had gone to a restaurant. This was a few years ago. I'd gone to a restaurant after church, and I don't do that very often. And I was sitting there with friends, and we had breakfast. And um, we were almost ready to go, and this this man walks up to me. This, this gentleman walks up to me, and he said, can I ask you an impertinent question? And I said, um, well, I don't know how to respond to that. And he said, no, it isn't rude or anything. And I said, okay, sure. And he said, are you a nun? <laughs> and my friends at the table laughed like you did I, I mean, and so did I and I and he didn't you know he didn't walk away he just stood there waiting for an answer and I thought uh, 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 I said uh, well I suppose in a way I am yeah yeah you are uh, uh. 
he left and my friends just smiled at me and he said, you're right. There's a lot about you that is very single-minded and like that. Uh-huh. And you read, you read my journal. So, you know, mm. some of the stories that have contributed to sharpening that focus and giving me a longing, but I, d- I have never felt Nate that it was narrowing down my world. I've had the opposite experience that I'm part of this crescendo mm-hmm. that the more I lean into him, the more I listen to him, the more I I pay attention to what he says. Let's do this now. Um, I it's uh, I'm I am being pulled through this aperture into something I've always wanted, which is to burn. And Dallas describes God as energy, and he talks about God being described as fire. God shows up in a fire in a burning bush that isn't consumed. And mm-hmm. and Abba Joseph, why not become fire? Mm-hmm. And ah, uh, that's what I want. I want everything else to be consumed. Now, people that know me really well tell me that I I need to lighten up on myself a little bit, which is why <laughs> why Julian is so important to me because she the closer she gets to Jesus, the more she, aware she is. A friend of mine used to say, "The closer you draw to a light, the larger the shadow looms," hmm. and we're aware of that. And this is where we need community. And silence and solitude and time with the Lord to not focus on what appears to be a looming shadow, but rather um, our proximity to the light. What do you mean you're hard on yourself? Friends say that. What do they mean? Oh, you know, Julian was her most so much of her conversation with Jesus until the very end. Um, you know, he sat and t- with her, talked to her for 10 hours. That's a really long conversation <laughs> in a coffee shop, actually, on her dad's bed. But uh, she didn't die. And the conversation was, I am not worthy of you. I'm troubled by the sin in my life. I'm troubled. I'm troubled by. And, and one of the things that we think about is we might look at the seven deadly sins and say, I'm doing pretty well on that, on those things. But the most deadly is relational sin. Oh. And so when I look at my interactions or somebody just annoyed me or I felt disrespected or overlooked or whatever, you know, whatever happens. uh, and And my heart reacts. I might say something or, um, you know, turn away, isolate, protect myself. Um, that's relational sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what tr- troubled Julian the most was, was not, she wasn't off doing things that Pope Gregory would have frowned at. What she was struggling with is she felt like she should be a, a better person by now, a different person by now, a, a more loving mm-hmm. person by now, a more patient person, the fruit of the spirit. And it troubled her mm-hmm. that she fell short relationally. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what Jesus pulls us into as he just says, hmm, you know, there are there's some attitudes and behaviors here that aren't okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what, when I say hard on myself, sure. I am aware of, all of us are, we're aware of, um, if we could take it back, we would. Right, right. Can't believe that we just did that. <laughs> said that. Yeah. But what would you say... F- for people whose lives they're kind of caught in the oh the glittery things possessions or muchness manyness 
Is there any kind of words you might have for them that you've learned in your kind of singular focus life? People take the story of the rich young man, that if you really are following Jesus, you're going to sell everything and give it all to the poor. And and then what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on caravan? <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Who's going to take care of you then? So Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, there were people that sold their business and went and sat on the hill waiting for Jesus to return. And he said, he said, get a job. Don't expect people to work for you. You know, be responsible. So I take all that and say, is it like at your point in life? As a young man, you've got a family, you're raising a family, Christy, you know, you're you're listening all the time. What does it look like? Your first call is to love God, your second call is to pour yourself into your wife and your kids. Hmm. Then your ministry. But those those are real tied in, I think, with the first thing, loving God, loving your family, loving the people that he's given you to cherish, care for, provide for, to be a father as God is the father to us should you be thinking about that yes god thinks about it he provides for us he takes us beside still waters he he feeds our soul he's with us when we walk through difficult paths he doesn't run off and say i'll be back good luck you know he's he's present he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies our cup overflows is enough to share even with our enemies maybe they'll become (laughs) friends but that's a that's a being very attentive to the opportunities and responsibilities of life as we know it. And those are very specific. So this kind of attitude that says, well, you shouldn't have anything. I think about people who hold what they have been given loosely mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. they're always at that table that's prepared for them by their good shepherd. They're always looking for ways to share what they have with others, people that they would consider friends and people that they would say are enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, Can they say, I come in peace. Come and sit at this table with me, which he has prepared for me. He makes it possible for me here to be generous. So what, what if instead of saying, well, we shouldn't have stuff or that's a, those are attachments. If we learn to see them and this is where I learned from the ancients. There is, uh, in the Abbey at Iona, my favorite place in the whole place is it's the Monk's Watch. And okay. there's, you climb these, climb these little narrow, real skinny, very steep little laddery stairs up into this little room. And there's a little, you have to crawl in there. There's a little wooden door. And on the front of it is, are carved the words, stand fast. And you go in and you sit down in this little room and there is a cutout arch kind of window and the monk would sit there and look down the road for a stranger's arrival and then hurry down to open the door and welcome them inside to a bed, warm bed and hot food. Now, if we, in what God has given us, if we are those monks sitting in that room with what he has given us to share. And our whole attitude is looking for who we can welcome. Yeah, keeping who watch. we can share it with. And it's it in, it doesn't mean to the um detriment of our family or the people that we're our aging parent who mm-hmm. relies on us. Right. So we become available to we are we become God's 
means of grace and presence, God's good shepherd protection and provision to those people as they travel. So the good shepherd becomes manifest in us. So when we think about simplicity, I don't think it means we don't have anything. Right. I, I think it's how we view ourselves truly as, as stewards of something God has given us both to provide for ourselves and to share with others. There's always enough. Mm-hmm. It's as much a posture as it is an action. It's a participation. If We know that the Trinity surrounds us like this big bubble. He's above us and beneath us and on our left and our right and inside of us and outside of us. He's everywhere. We're in this, we're in this bubble of life. Nothing is outside of God's embrace. So he provides for us. Now, when it's off is when I start thinking it has to do with what I provided for myself or this is mine, you know, that whole two-year-old kid, mine, 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 <laughs> big, big fight. And that's there. Uh-huh. So I think that's what the Trinity enables us to overcome it and to say, we don't have to cling to these things. We don't have to grab on. It's okay to share. So I guess thinking about simplicity, it's it's becoming increasingly content with what we have and are willing to share, not so concerned about what we don't have. And Paul's whole thing about, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, whether in plenty or in um, lack, well, that's where I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. So I have a chance to practice it in the way that I handle my possessions. And I would love to say I'm the most generous person in the world. I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I catch myself on it and I say, what, what are you worried about? Well, I'm worried about having enough. I'm worried about scarcity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, Jesus just says, oh, <laughs> you are? <laughs> I, I don't think you need to worry about that, no. So, yes, my 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 life in terms of what I, my involvements and stuff is, is in comparison to maybe a national norm somewhat narrow. My experience is expansive. Okay. Say more. Oh, I, I. I see more, I hear more, I know more, I, I'm i um, less anxious about the time it takes. And I'm beginning to see, here's a, here's a thought. So if you think about the world as it, like this multidimensional chess game, right? Okay. It's operating on not just flatland kind of, you know, two dimensions, but it's multidimensional. And God is is hovering over this whole thing all the time. And he's he's trying to work his way into somebody's consciousness. And they're, you know, they're just not seeing it. But that's happening up on level four, and I'm down on level two. Okay. And sometimes Jesus just says to me, Mimi, do you see this situation? Yes, I see the situation. Are you concerned about it? I'm very concerned about it. What do you want me to do? Whatever you feel needs to be done. I agree with what you want to do. So he says, will you hold your space? Just don't do anything. Just stand fast. That's why I like what's on the door in Iona. Will you just hold your space? Because you holding this space right here creates and establishes, and you know all about this, a stability that makes it possible for somebody else to not scream and run off the operating table. Mm-hmm. 
It just, it, it holds a space so that God can be at work in another situation. And it may be something that I can see and it may be something that I can't see at all. I, I have no idea. But I have so much confidence. So it isn't always about me. Sometimes when things don't seem to be moving, Jesus has helped me see it isn't always about me. What an astonishing thought. <laughs> it may be about something that's happening in proximity to me, and he's just inviting me to be a non-anxious, stable presence. It may be something that's happening somewhere else in the world, and he's calling um, you know, Thomas Merton said this amazing thing in Seven Story Mountain. He said, he said, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I thought, he's right. He said that Jesus showed him that if 10 righteous people in the world had been praying, it would have averted World War II. Whoa. And I have really thought about that. Am I willing to be persistent in prayer? Am I willing to um, trust God with what he's doing? Am I willing to hold a space trusting that all shall be well when anything but appears to be happening? Simplicity clears the way to stand fast, to be open. I'm not pulled in a lot of different directions. I'm really not. It doesn't mean I'm not busy. You know, I haven't really thought about this. You have really good questions, Nathan. (laughs) Um, I'm able to be present to situations without feeling personally threatened by it. And not that some of those things aren't pretty close in, but um, I just have a sense oftentimes that Jesus is just sitting with me and and we're we're holding it together. And um, sometimes I'll look at him like a little kid. I'll look at him anxiously and wonder, is it going to be okay? And he just says, he just says, just wait, <laughs> just wait. Watch, watch. Yeah, watch this space. Being present without personally threatened. What does it, what does it look like when we're personally threatened? Needing to have something happen in order to feel okay about it. Yeah, yeah. Needing to have control, Mm -hmm. um, guarantees. um, And most of the time in my case, I have something very specific in mind that I'm watching for. And if I look at that too, (laughs) if I'm too closely focused, I can't see what it's like having that cell phone light on in a room, in a dark room. All I can see is what I have the phone pointed at. I can't see what's going on over there. And he's doing stuff. I don't want to miss it. So I've got the light shining on what I need to have happen. We do this relationally with families and ministry. Oh, yeah. You know, we... I think this is part of the image of God. We have a sense of what well looks like. Okay. And I I think we're always paddling as hard as we can toward that shore. And, uh, you know, Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. They go out in the middle of it and they're having, and it's a terrible storm. A little shrocko comes in as the disciples who, several of whom are seasoned fishermen, are afraid for their lives. Jesus is asleep in the stern. (laughs) Now, 
I heard Gary Smalley ask a group one time, he said, if they had listened to what Jesus said, because when he woke, when they woke him up and he calmed the wind, he said, where's your faith? Faith in what? Right. That when he said, let's go to the other side, they would. Not let's go out in the middle and drown. <laughs> so it, when he says to me, what he told Julian, all shall be well and all shall be well and all matter of things shall be well. We already know. He gives us revelation so we can read the last chapter first. We know yeah. that we come out alive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we already know that. Now we should be able to read this very harrowing murder mystery with a little bit of comfort because we know how it's going to end. So if he says we're going to go to the other side and we get into a scrappy thing in the middle of it, which we always do. And, uh, you know, that's what makes a story good is where there's some kind of tension that resolves. <laughs> I like to read those stories. I don't want to be that story. <laughs> the, so. the sort of trust that we know. And I got it. Thanks to you. I cannot hear the Julian quote without sin is inevitable. Right. But also yeah, be before well. Before that. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, life is inevitable. Storms, rickety boats are inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. But we know we can trust the end of the story, the other side. Well, and am I can can I experience the storm differently? Yeah. Yeah. If I do not think that my my survival is at risk, if I don't think destruction is imminent, don't you care that we're going to drown? If my confidence in him is so resolute, how is it possible to experience the storm differently? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Jesus was asleep. I, that seems a little bit out there for me. I don't think I could sleep. But I would like to be able to um, just rest in who I know he is and not be so consumed by who, what I'm afraid is going to happen to me. I want to I make my focus increasingly what's going on with him He's the good shepherd. He's he's got my back. He knows what he's doing. He's he's protecting. He's providing. I don't need to be anxious. So simplicity, um, for me, is more of an attitude. I think it's reflected in in schedule and checkbooks and stuff. But simplicity seems to me to be a a place, a rest, a resting place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to I want to run with your earlier picture of the flashlight in a dark room. All we see is what yeah. we're shining on the cell phone light. <laughs> yeah. So in the storm, they were focusing, and I certainly understand why. Oh yeah, yeah. Right on the storm and missing big picture of what's really going on. I have a picture in my office here of um, the disciples in the storm with Jesus sleeping away and their overs are breaking in. The mast is broken and they're all bailing and they're looking terrified and he's just sleeping away. (laughs) He's not afraid. He knows who's got him. Uh Okay. This fits. There's a quote and I'm butchered, I'm sure, but I'll get the idea. (laughs) And it's, it's something Dallas had said about, you know, the universe is a safe place. God's universe is a safe place. And of course I want to pick that through and go, well, people are murdered and famine and, you know, there's a volcano in Hawaii. It's not necessarily. Let kids walk out by themselves at night. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the big picture of eternity, of the end of the story, uh, there's something I like that we can trust that God's universe is safe for our souls. Can we put that? Well, I I don't think I would draw that please clo- that close a distinction. Okay. I, you know, I'm busy. I'm I'm busy as I told you in a, one of our groups here that I have the privilege of leading. We're looking at Dallas's book Life Without Lack and it's talking about the 23rd Psalm and the context is what you just said, that this universe is the safest place we could possibly be. Why? Because God created it, because God continues to create. He's actively involved. His word continues to go forth. He's still speaking words of new life and regeneration. He's still um, bringing us across the lake through the storm to the other shore. Um He's he's doing what he promised to do. Now a lot of stuff's thrown itself in the way of this bus, but he. Um, I, one of the ways that I that I I begun to picture it in my own mind, Nathan, is that our world is a bunch of children, and there's an adult in the room. <laughs> there's only one adult in the room. So you know what happens with the, when a bunch of little kids are together. Oh my gosh, there's all my kinds of stuff going on and they're, they're relating to each other and they're taking things and they're defending things. And it's really crazy. And, and I, I, I can be distracted by that, mm-hmm. which is what we were just talking about. I can be very distracted by that and troubled by it. Seeing what's going on over there in the corner with kids wrestling or somebody hitting somebody with a toy or whatever's going on. I can become very distracted by all the activity in the room. And then I turn around and I look and, and there's Jesus. He's the adult. And he's the only, he does have power. He's smarter than everybody in there. Um, he's an adult. And I look at him and he's smiling at me. And it, it isn't that he's going to do stuff about what's going on in the room, but he just, he smiles at me and he winks. And he says with that expression, you know, this kind of thing is inevitable. (laughs) It's inevitable when children are all in the same space Uh and they think they're unsupervised, Uh but um, you know what? It's going to be okay. And then I turn around and I look at the chaos in the room. I look back at him. I look at the room and I think, hmm, which is more true here? What's more real? Well, I'm a kid too. So I have a, you know, a sense of vulnerability and insecurity and all that. But when I am connected to him, and you see this with children all the time, their dad or their mom walks into the room where there's a bunch of kids doing stuff. And the kid sees them, runs to them, clings to them, and the child's whole demeanor, their face, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Whew. Mm-hmm. I'm okay now. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think that's a great picture of simplicity. It's a relationship where you know there's an adult in the room and you're no longer vulnerable. You're safe now. Now, yes, there are there are things that are going on in this world, this Lord of the Flies world that we live in, and there is a sense that there isn't any real adult or anybody who knows what's going on, but we know differently. And it's out of patience and love that he lets some of it run a little bit. And I, he's God and I am not, 
and I don't know how he stands it because he's always right in the midst of that crisis. He's always absorbing most of the energy and the evil and the wrong and the abuse into himself. So I, you know, I think about that. I, I just think, Jesus, today you're going you're gonna to be experiencing some terrible things. You're going to be inserting yourself in situations that are awful. How can I pray? How can I be available to you? How can I, how can I agree with what you're doing in the world so that your, um, your free will releases God's grace and power in ways that I don't really understand. But when I agree in prayer with what he's doing and wants to do, and when I say I'm available in any way, at least lots of times he just seems to say, will you be with me in this and hold it with me? And will you know what is true? That sin is inevitable, but all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. It's a very simple, simple way to view reality. And I guess some would probably say see simplistic and unrealistic. But it is not a view that I that people who are heavenly minded or of no earthly good. I think it's the opposite. People who are heavenly minded are not focused as much on themselves. And therefore are more available to, to see what's happening, to know what's happening, to grieve with the spirit over what's happening, and to, um, to pray. Because prayer is the most power, powerful force in the world. It's the way that we agree with God, partner God, with God. But we know how this thing ends. And I need to be careful at, to not turn around and focus all my attention on what is going on in this room of children. Right, right. Say, Does anyone see this? I mean, this is bad. I, but he's I've, there. I've got the quote for you, and I, oh, it, okay. it fits in here perfect. God is all-encompassing, all-penetrating His world, interactive at every point with our lives, and we can be totally at home and safe regardless of what happens in the visible dimensions of the universe. Regardless of what happens in the visible, visible dimensions, dimensions of the of room with a bunch of out-of-control yeah, children. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, um, it is Lord of the Flies, and our world now is so small. We know pretty quickly, well, at least some of what's happening in the world, and it's easy to be very discouraged by that and just think, Lord, have mercy. You know, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But he says that the reason he's delaying is out of love, not out of, um, you know, being too busy somewhere else in the universe, but that he's not wanting to close the door before everybody has had a chance to make a different kind of choice. Waiting, waiting. Okay, I, I am really liking this picture <laughs> a room full of children but there's a parent and i'm thinking and a, of, an adult yeah or, i'm sorry an adult was, yeah. well but a father isn't that right a father yeah. and a brother yeah. yeah yeah it's personal these are it, not anonymous children right right well i'm i'm thinking of when my kids were little and i take them into a room with a bunch of kids out of control and i'm there with them and they i can just picture it holding onto my leg and yeah. then I kind of lean down and I go, hey, buddy, maybe you should go play over there. Why don't you see what's happening over there? And, and right? And then I can just picture them going over there, playing, and then looking back at me. And I, it's okay. 
I'm right here. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, He's safe to do it because he knows you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And then they come back and we interact with it, right? I can yes. later go, how were the Legos, right? We could. Uh, and it doesn't mean that somebody may throw a punch or a toy or something and he gets caught, you know, and comes and he's going to have a little bit of a cry and then he's going to go engage again. But it's, it's, I think simplicity, uh, simplicity for me, and I have friends who are, simple in how many clothes they own and how many shoes they own and that kind of thing. You know, they they really define it in terms of a lifestyle as well. And I, you know, I applaud for them. My experience of simplicity is um, in where I look, where I look and what I'm paying attention to, particularly when I'm in cluttered chaotic environments or um, where things are happening or being decisions are being made or things that are being done that I can see are harming others. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's, that engages me first in grief. And then secondly, and just kind of, um, and it's not, I, I don't, I don't experience anger toward God. I know that we're encouraged to to express that, and the Psalms do. You know, God, where are you? Why don't you do something? I don't think there's anything wrong because that's that's intimacy too, where God encourages us to be authentic and straight up. And sometimes that's real hard. I tend to turn, which I said earlier, I tend to turn it in on myself if I'm frustrated. I I become more frustrated that I can't do something about it or that I'm afraid of what I see happening and what the consequences will be. But at the core, at the end of the day, there's this deep confidence that sin is inevitable. And he knows that. And that doesn't feel safe. But then all of that is. it's changed by the fact that he's present in it, working through it, and tells us how what the conclusion, what the outcome will be. So I don't need to concern myself with outcomes. That's his business. And that's one of the things I have to work on in simplicity is to not concern myself with outcomes. Trust we're going to reach the other side of the lake. Yeah, let's let's go to the other side. Okay. Mm-hmm. But see, he's in the boat. That's the whole deal, isn't it? And he's not anxious. <laughs> yeah. He says, what's wrong with you guys? I told you what, what was going to happen. What's, why are you freaking out? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Mimi, you did it again. Hmm. You, you gave me another podcast that I'm going to need to oh. give three or four <laughs> listens to. Well, <laughs> thank, thank you. you, Nathan. I... This really means a lot to me because I think about this stuff all the time, mm. but, you know, didn't have a chance to say, what do you think about this? Does this sound right to you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh, thank you. I know I speak for our listeners, too. They really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you, Nate. Well, there you have it. Lots to think about. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week. <laughs>